Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my druid magic, cursed by the thorn, baby daddy, uh, and teleporting shape and co-host, Alex Dandino. All true. <laughs> All right, guys, if you're here joining us on the show, we hope you're having a great time like always. If that's the case, please take one second right now, right now while you're listening. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be the Apple Podcast app. Uh, these things help us find more people to haul into the old uh, Alchemist Lab here, right, where we uh, subject them to my movie theories and, uh, you know, nonsense. If you uh, want to see our faces, along with hear our voices, you can find uh, find this show in a video format and many other things that we've been working on on our YouTube channel, The Nerd Alchemist. We are on every social media platform you're on and would love to connect with you. you that's a good way to reach out to us. You can also email the show. And we always love to hear your ideas for movies we should talk about, themes, double features, guests, new stuff, old stuff, whatever you want. We want to talk about it, man. So reach out to us with uh, either of those, any of those methods. We're everywhere. We're easy to get a hold of. Uh, all right, guys. This month, October, uh, we entered the abyss, the never-ending abyss of horror films. Uh, we are in kind of the abyss of the Halloween franchise today as we dive into The Curse of Michael Myers. Um, Damn it. There is a lot about this movie that I love. I feel like I feel like if they wrote the tale of The Curse of Michael Myers and Halloween H2O, it's kind of the same tale, right? Which is great conceit thing I really want to talk about and add to the Halloween mythos. And then they say, fuck that. Let's do the exact same things. We're afraid to go too far, man. Um, this one especially, right? Because this... What I look for in sequels, once we're this fucking deep into the movies, right? I get Michael Myers. I get the slasher. Give me something new. Some way to recontextualize, to examine some new layer of mythology that I can take with me to all the other movies, right? It lets me rewatch the old ones uh, in a different light. It lets me watch the new ones with more appreciation, right? I love that. This movie had it. Diving all the way into the fucking druid magic is exactly what I wanted. And I would argue the first 20 minutes of this movie are fucking outstanding. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alex, what were your thoughts? And again, let's focus on more of the things we like about uh, The Curse of Michael Myers, and then maybe at the end we'll start throwing haymakers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to me, the thing that makes The Curse of Michael Myers unique and interesting is one, I mean, for one, it's uh, Donald Pleasance's last turn as Dr. Loomis before he died, which is very sad. Rest in peace, of course. Uh, the introduction hours. of one Paul Stephen Rudd. That's pretty fun. But most importantly. Hey! Also, the only Paul Rudd that none of our wives would want to fuck. <laughs> the least yes. fuckable Paul Rudd ever. The least fuckable film. Paul Rudd in film history. Thank God. You know, <laughs> it's not it's it's a rare sighting, but sometimes you just get lucky. Um, this actually came out right before Clueless. Um, I will say <laughs> this is the, and I agree with you, like the Druid stuff that, and this happens on front street, man. Like it's top of the movie. Mm -hmm. 
if you turn this on after the credits, you would not know this was a Halloween movie of the Halloween yeah. franchise until 20 minutes in with that first fucking Michael Myers kill. Until then, it is not revealed no, at no, all. The, the nurse gets killed. The nurse gets killed like before the five minute mark because they do the classic really? Michael Myers emerges from the dark and puts the nurse's head through the spike. No, I remember that. I thought that happened 20 minutes into the movie. Wow. Okay. I was that engrossed. I was like in. Okay. Um, yeah. You were like, you hit a druid, a druidic time jump. But yeah. So like five minutes in. Yeah. But. But it's. Michael probably has like three big visuals of this opening. But it's a lot of druids. And then the conclusion of the Jamie story. Yes. Which we had just done in Halloween four and five. And again, they found such a. I, and God, I hate to fucking use the uh, the probably overused and abused adjective of poetic Ugh. for Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Douche. But I thought there was something really cool about Jamie fighting out with her baby and her being caught in this thing. No, right. She at one point looked like she was supposed to be the new Michael and then she escaped and fought back. They disappeared. Now she has a kid, which. By the way, they kind of creepily tell us that Michael, the baby daddy. Did you yeah, get that? Like, Michael definitely a, is the baby daddy, There's a right? hint of that, yes. It made me a little uncomfortable, if I'm being honest, because... <laughs> yeah, because we just spent two movies watching him chase around 10-year-old version of Jamie. The thought of what happened betwixt those two movies, uh, not cool. That's the kind of uh, real-life horror that uh, Halloween rarely ever yeah. gets to. <laughs> i mean but I, again i I've, i really like the druid stuff everything involved yeah I, yeah so elaborate on that what about the druid stuff was working for you so well well it's like what you said at the beginning of the top of the show or sorry it's like what you said at the top of the show i do like sequels need to add to the mythos sequels need to add something while honoring the past in some ways and i think that's what the curse of michael Myles, mm -hmm. myers does better than a lot of the other sequels to this which is honoring the past by a bringing donald pleasance back and also giving him like the best send-off you could give uh dr loomis i think probably one of the better send-offs you could give a long yes uh a long <laughs> a poor long labored character who literally is sitting in a cabin outside haddonfield now just you know hiding from the world saying i'm retired but i'll come back for evil <laughs> But then ultimately, the thing no, that is. But see, you. But 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 wait, hold on. I I got I got to slam the brakes on this uh, Unabomber depiction of Pleasance. <laughs> this is not a. He is it. not the I Unabomber. He is essentially uh, the could he be Santa from Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, right? He's... We just hear him click clacking. I'm writing a manuscript. He hears his name on the radio and whips around, and with a little twinkle in his eyes and his uh, you know, little little cherubic face. He's just like, I'm not dead. I'm just very much retired. And I was like, yeah, yeah. like from the cheap seats cheering. Like, yeah, he's monologuing. I'm fine with his that. radio. He I still want has, that shit. He still has it. I'm yeah, not saying he's great. I'm not saying he's like Unabombering. I'm saying he's just aloof until he's needed. Like he's like he's like Batman at the beginning of Batman Returns. The like Michael signal flashes and he's <laughs> it's the same thing. So. But the stuff that really works for me, 
okay, now I really want that movie. Like, I want Loomis Returns. (laughs) Uh, Fuck, dude. I think we all do, man. I think we all do. (laughs) Um, The thing that I liked the most, though, about the the Druid and the stuff with um, the Thorn, which is this sort of uh, everything about that is so fascinating because it almost routinely ignores everything about Michael Myers and just dives deep into something else entirely, which is exactly what we need for a sequel that is following what is it the is it revenge of michael myers is the uh five or four like they're just repeating I forget the subtitles of four and five but yeah this is him right. going for jamie for the second movie that was part right. of five so we're just repeating like we're repeating history but how do we make it worthwhile oh well let's throw in let's take this piece from halloween 2 that like literally just got glossed over it, it, it was oh yeah this thing well all right cool anyways murders and then this time we're like really focusing in there's conspiracy theory, Paul Rudd, there's all kinds of crazy shit happening. And then, yeah, you get a little bit of, you get some fun, you get some, I mean, spectacular Michael kills in this movie. But then on top of all that, you get yeah. to like dive, dive in and like drink deep this like crazy mythology that you had no idea that is like totally new and grafted, but you're like, God, I hope they stick with this crazy shit. Cause then you can go to, all new crazy heights like that's the level i want from sequels is that kind of experimentation which they absolutely did not do but this is the thing because i was telling the first hand i mean i think michael kills that nurse maybe three to five minutes in right right again i don't know how long that is but in that time we see people in druid cloaks wheeling her into a candlelit operating room with a fucking 800 candles, right? Kubrick, eat your heart out. You know, Barry Lyndon didn't have druid births, you know? So we're, we're doing this imagery. We got these nine-inch nails flashes. Uh, you're like, yes, yeah. fuck yeah. This is my problem with the movie, though, right? So imagine that opening. And then I said, we're going to end in a laboratory, a genetics laboratory, I'm assuming, where there maybe are, like, Cracker Jack fetuses of Michael Myers and he gets stabbed with some green goo and his head bashed in and then he gets up. Like, we'll get to the end. There's a lot happening. I was like, the leap from druid cult magic birth to the most boring version of Michael Myers <laughs> hunting whites to genetic laboratory. I mean, the, the fucking spider web of that is... I mean, a fascinating series of decisions. We really run the gamut of science fiction in this movie. Like we're going far beyond any sort of horror. (laughs) Like we're, we're, we're going, we start with pagan ritual and we end with fucking injections, injections in a laboratory. Like there's, we're, we're going for it guys. But this is, this is exactly what I'm saying though. Right. That scene when the Druid is marking the newborn with, the the curse of the thorn right and a nurse who somehow is the only evil nurse in cinema history who's not 100 percent the most committed right usually if you see nurse past the age of 50 working for a whore outfit they're like oh i've committed so many atrocities in my you know 30 year career i'm a hundred percent in right it'd be like damien's nanny at the end of the omens like Actually, this kid's kind of a prick. Can I hold your ritual knives for you, Gregory? <laughs> right? Like, usually they're so down for the cause. 
and she has this heart of gold moment and lets him out. Yeah. And it's really pretty cool, man. And it it's this weird it's the weird Halloween movie where that opening handful of minutes you're like, "Yes, this is everything I want." And when Michael appears, you're like, "Oh, you're just not doing the dress code, huh? You're not doing the robes. You're doing a mechanic suit and the the weird mask. It's getting weirder yeah. at this point, She's- right?" Uh and you are the weird druids call you out of where to go terminate. Okay, I don't care. It's it's Halloween. This is a great start. He rips a right. mullet guy's head off. Uh, he goes full Jason takes Manhattan is 100% a teleporting ghost as he travels, you know, however long that truck traveled, he traveled without a raindrop hitting him, right? <laughs> he knew where the pull-off was. Jamie doesn't take turns, I guess. Also, yeah, if you're driving say, the I'm... truck, point it somewhere that's not Haddonfield. Yeah. But I mean, all that said, right, this is one of these movies where you have to take away some of these, wow, these characters are doing not smart things, right? This movie suffers from a lot of these, so you have to brush those out. But Jamie wandering into that bus station and calling for help and her on the run, that's where I thought this movie could have lived. There was yeah, there was something really cool. And again, I, I hesitate again to say poetic in The Curse of Michael Myers, but the thought of Jamie now becoming fully a mother and protecting a child when we missed this whole gap of her life, right? She went from hunted child to now mother protecting her baby who maybe her uncle gave her and these people are rubbing blood on. There's a lot going on here and watching her try to have the strength and fortitude to escape, right? Just this ferocious, like the the mother's love, right? Nature versus magic. I thought this was going to be really cool. And I knew we were in trouble because there's a scene early on in the bathroom where she's down in the stall. And the other thing about this movie, not to like, make a mountain out of the gripes I have at times. But the when the baby cries for people who have had kids is fascinating to watch throughout the movie. But neither here nor there. There's a scene when Michael's coming down the stairs, right? He's teleported here. He's not wet. He's got his Robert Smith shadow coming down the stairs. Right. Uh, and they show Jamie cowering in a stall uh, with the baby and Michael's opening stall doors only to then see... The stall's empty, and there was a giant fucking window there that Jamie crawled out of. And that's one of those things this movie suffers, where you're like, why would she ever stop and waste the one minute cowering on the toilet when there's a giant window? She's Jamie. She's a survivor. She's been doing this since she was a girl. And th- this is that scene was kind of the microcosm of this movie. I was like, I love this setting. I love him coming for her. I love her being a good mom. Oh, we're doing fake scares. We're doing fake tension buildings. They don't trust what they're doing. And I think that's the problem is that they didn't trust in this druid magic angle. Right. I mean, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. Like, and it's the ultimate sadness of the movie is not leaning into the weird. And I think that's the thing is like, yeah, we like instead, like not leaning into it and not making it not making it that weird, not make not amping up the weirdness continuously. And like still trying to get back to like what I would consider the Halloweenness, like the things that people are expecting. That's what, that's the problem is like, we start off by doing something unexpected and then we pretty much go right back to formula, but like they're still trying to, because they've already started mm-hmm. this, uh, 
they've already started this druid thing. So now we have to keep like peppering it in and like filtering it through the movie, but we still have to get our scares and our, our murders every two seconds and that kind of thing. And I mean, to me, if you look back at, I mean, if you look at the first Halloween movie, like the movie really doesn't kick off hardcore until like almost towards the end, man. Like it's to me, uh, the great fault of like horror movies and, especially the Halloween particularly is they rely too much. There's too much reliance on not necessarily what's going to be scary, but what's going to just like make people go, Oh, Oh my goodness. Oh, I was, mm-hmm. I, I knew that was going to happen. Like what I don't want is to know what's going to happen. And if you throw a Druid angle in there, I'm not going to know what's going to happen. Just, just say it, just do it. Make me, make me believe. Give right. me what it, I didn't ask for. Yeah. And this, this is the, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is the divergence between Halloween and Friday the 13th, right? At a point, Friday the 13th made a whole movie where Jason just wasn't in it again. And then he comes back as a zombie, and then he's a nautical ghost, right? The fucking, uh, you know, Jason nautical nonsense, number eight or whatever. Friday the 13th just said, yeah, we know what you're here for. We're just going to go for it, man. And they they embrace the weird, right? But this one, you can just see there's kind of all these disparate threads, right? So here's our druid magic. They had that great moment where Jamie's in the barn and Michael's teleporting around and he throws her on the thing. And it's it's just weird, right? It's stunning. So you're like, she survived him so long. That scene to me is the microcosm of what's wrong with the movie is that, yeah, like she sees okay. him and you're like, cool, got it. And then he's literally just like, like there's no, it's as if there's no time that passes. He shows up behind you're like, all right, well, thank you. That was what I was expecting. But like, she couldn't have just survived this. Like she's like you were saying, she's gone this yeah. long. Why are we even like, why are we, why are we doing this? Yeah. And so I, you know, you start preparing yourselves an audience. Like how's Jamie going to figure this out? And she just gets killed fast. And Michael's just so brutal and quick in dispatching her. It's almost as if some executives like enough of this you know, gothic ghost story. We got to get back to teenage broads, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. And this is, and then we, this is when it starts just kind of disintegrating at parts, right? So Paul Rudd just is replaying a tape and then all of a sudden he hears a bus schedule that 1,000% was not there before. And he finds a baby in blood that, no one is noticed in this entire but like no lady went in to pee all day and noticed the baby screaming in the so it's like we start running into these just moments of why yeah right and so they're setting up tommy as maybe tommy's like this hacker technology rear window thing he's gonna like help us solve the druid puzzle with his computer constellations right you know like Maybe right. he'll figure it out. And then we bring Loomis back, you know, so we have the Loomis. We're kind of reinventing the Laurie Strode Meyer house. Uh, we're doing evil devil kid for the third time. There's just all these parts <laughs> right? that feel it's, like they're like, one of these things will fucking work. And none of them really yeah. like jumps out ahead of any of the others. It really, yeah, it feels like it's a movie. It's weird because these movies seem at this point by what we're on six by like, Movie six, you'd think this yeah. whole thing would be on autopilot. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, we're good. We'll just, we'll, we'll figure this out. And then it's like they started <laughs> with the Druid stuff and the, um, and Thorn. 
and they're and it's like someone read the script they're like wow this is really good and then they went out and started shooting it and they're like yikes actually you know what um there's not enough michael myers in this movie are there any producers who might be able to rewrite this anyone else available like yeah it, it, can we just have him ghosting around <laughs> it really feels like this weird warlock of a movie and again i love all the like 90s affectations like to me the nine inch nails little things that um switch the scene over are yes they are cheesy because by today's standards they don't really make a lot of sense but i mean for 1995 as far as i'm concerned that's like that's like borrowed from like hackers which i think is awesome so to me yeah i'm fine with that those well, are the kind of like i mean halloween 90s. six is in no way trying to pretend that it's some kind no. of piece of you know cinema art it's just here yeah. to do what it needs to do again this movie was made this movie is 88 minutes long it was made for five five million dollars so right but let's let's start breaking apart some of these disparate elements we've got right so we immediately kind of throw out our druid stuff we have paul rudd monologue on it once or twice right. but essentially it has no value uh, we do talk about there's a constellation that maybe is why Michael comes. So Paul Rudd knows okay. that, that, but not that the constellation's in the sky right now. Weird, right? Right. Um, he talks about each village gives one sacrificial baby who's supposed to become yeah, this kind like of like god of death and destruction. child is supposed to bear the curse. <laughs> yeah, and they say, though, they're like, this child will kill hundreds of thousands. I was like, Michael Myers is the shittiest thorn. He's the yeah. biggest slacker. He's killed like 20 babysitters. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Instead of instead of him not following the dress code, instead of him not following the dress code, maybe he's like not allowed to wear a robe because he's been such a failure. Like, really? You've hunted like one girl the entire so fucking Mike, time. Wrong Michael has you? like a, uh, a <laughs> yeah, Michael has a druidic middle manager. It's like, you didn't hit quotas again, huh? Well, maybe Halloween Even, 10 years oh, yeah, absolutely. you hit your quotas. Even better, I'd say Michael Myers' outfit is literally he actually is the janitor for the Druids. And they're like, yeah, I guess we'll just let him out. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, he just finished cleaning up Halloween 20 years ago. Better set him loose again. But so we take this out, right? So Paul Rudd is a very hard to watch Tommy Doyle in this. Which is, I was telling you, this is the Paul Rudd movie. Where our wives probably wouldn't want to fuck him. I mean, probably they still would because it's perfect five o'clock shadow and cheekbones. But he is I mean, red flag central, right? Sure. I mean, to be honest with you, any movie I would still probably fuck Red Paul Red on. Right. I mean, granted, granted. <laughs> Let's be gentlemen about this. But they start off with the weird he just spies on the Strode house. But his camera's always pointed at the room where the mom takes her clothes off way slower than any human being does. Um, <laughs> and then Yikes. he also, I'll tell you what is funny about this movie. I think the scariest scene in the movie is when Tommy Doyle, you're like, is he the one who's going to find the baby? Because <laughs> you're just like, ooh, creepy. Like when he's walking, he's like, did a busket here last night? Excellent. And he's sitting in the bloody phone booth, you're like, I kind of hope that kid just got, like, flushed. Like, I think it's in worse hands with Tommy than, like, being left anywhere else in the terminal. But there's there's a cool right. scene, right, when he gets the baby home, and uh, he's like, don't worry, I won't let anything happen to you. And he smiles. And I was like, oh, my God, he's stoked to have this fucking murder beacon. 
Walk me through your thoughts on Paul Rudd in this movie. It is a weird character, Tommy Doyle, in this film. I mean, Paul Rudd's Tommy Doyle in this movie seems like he's Paul Rudd plays. I don't know. Like half the time I was like, is this just a PTSD thing? Like, are we just covering? Oh, this kid's been through a lot. And he's now a recluse and that kind and that kind of thing. But then he's not because he fucking goes well, out and still wants to sh- see some titties. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I'm like, he's not really a recluse. He's more just a big fucking pervert. And that's like the long and short of the story. <laughs> but to me, Paul, <laughs> Paul Rudd's characterization is so like. <sighs> he's just so it's just on the nose for me. Like, here's my thing. There's the Donald Pleasances of the world. There's the Dr. Loomises who we all know what to expect from Dr. Loomis. Not just because of the first movie, but like this is a guy who spent his entire life studying Michael Myers and so on and so forth. Like the logic is there. Paul Rudd has literally just been like surfing the Internet since the Internet got created, trying to find whatever he could on Michael Myers. So. Well, that's that's the difference, though, right, is that Loomis had a whole life and career and found Michael much older. Tommy Doyle is the boy we see in the first movie who is already afraid of the boogeyman and bullied this happening. You can kind of see the weird part is just how they never quite bring it home. Right. He's almost too serial killery for me because I like the scene that I thought was really a good wink and nod with Tommy. Right. Is when he walks outside and Danny, our new creepy kid, uh, he makes Danny drop his pumpkin. Very much like the bullies made him drop his pumpkin in the first one. And when Uh he ducks down to eye level and he's like, I'm sorry. And then you see them form this kind of quirky bond. You're like, oh, okay, here's a nice, like now he's an actual human being, right? Now there's shades of a person. Next thing you know, he's in the kid's room and the mom comes in like, hey, guy who takes fucking toplesses of me. What are you doing in here? And he's like, don't worry. I'm a friend. And it's like, no, you know, it's like I don't I just the way it's played often is is rough. Right. And then at the end, he kind of just leaps into this action hero thing. I don't know. I, and my thing is, is in the face of druidic magic. I felt like there was some other way we could have played this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it just doesn't work. For, it doesn't work for me in a way that uh, it should. Because, like, I like conspiracy theory characters in movies. Like, those are the characters yep. that I find the most enjoyable to watch. Like, it's, I, it's weird to me that it just doesn't work. And I think it doesn't work because it's so... I, I agree. I think it's because he's too obsessed with Michael Myers. Like, this is the weird thing is knowing the boogeyman. Like, well, that should just traumatize him. I get You've that he him. would be, right? I, I get that he would be obsessed, but this movie is supposedly taking I, place 10 years after the last movie, right? I guess and he so would that's be fine. Obs- you can know. be See, obsessed, but what? But Okay, so if you were a kid, right? Let's just put it. If you were a kid and you're... You're a, you're an avid Batman super fanatic, right? If you sure. were a child and you were, you know, like, well, I'm in my, you know, Batman onesie and I'm over here carving pumpkins and yelling at the neighbor girl. And next thing you know, you saw Killer Croc eat your babysitter. And then your mom's like, Killer Croc ate six babysitters. You'd be like, oh, fuck. 
Right. You would probably I mean, I think, be really obsessed with the killer croc. <laughs> or live in I, I think this is the thing is after everything that happens to Tommy Doyle in the first one, like the things that occur in his life, I, I don't know if I buy that he's obsessed. Like to me, I would be living in mortal fear. That's like my thing that I, I think I, I kept think coming fear, back to. Fear is obsession. Fear is obsession with a different title. Sure, but I don't think for like for me personally, the this version of like there's a version of this movie where Tommy Doyle is this like fear obsessed person. Like that's how he faces his fear in a way. And I think like there's a version of this movie where maybe Tommy Doyle's characterization is a little more like the successor to Dr. Loomis. Like that would make more sense to me, like than the way it is now. Because right now he's just an obsessive. Like to me, yeah, I believe that. I agree with you. Like fear is another form of obsession in a way. I I think though that for it to be like the first scene is the thing that throws me off the most. Like when he calls into that like, you know, knockoff K Rock back talk one hundred seven point seven or whatever it is. Like (laughs) he gives that and i couldn't was he doing an accent i couldn't tell like i was like we're in illinois it's not southern i think he did that twice because he also did it at the doctors when he was screaming at the nurse i'm like is he doing like south african like what you know like he had a little something going on extra there's a little bit you're saying there's a little bit of invictus in there (laughs) yeah right you know what i mean but so let me run tommy doyle through this like kind of two-part exchange which i find very strange the the Tommy the Tommy Doyle, not Tommy Jarvis, Tommy Doyle, who is simply obsessed with this house, right? I must stand guard on this house. It also feels like that boarding uh house, you know, also probably pretty close to where he grew up and all this happened, right? I get that. He wants to stand watch, a sentinel over this house. The version of that where he just stands in the window and stares at this single mom who's been through an abusive life and doesn't ever be like hey uh you live in michael myers bedroom you know nothing like that he just watches and takes that's not a telescope that's a camera that's a fucking camera so for sure his hard drive has more than druidic rune games you know what i mean so that yeah. version of Tommy Doyle is hard to square with man of action Tommy Doyle, right? Right. Because there's a couple moments that I really like. At the end of the movie, when he finally, he he kind of just wanders through the, uh, you know, the least heavily guarded druidic fortress of all time, and he gets, you know, the girl, and they're running away. At the end, the truth, when he finally not, is know. face-to-face with Michael. Right. Yeah, they're like, yeah, it's magic. <laughs> Michael's indestructible. It's magic. We're also geneticists because that's something we're just going to say is offhand dialogue. <laughs> when he gets to confront Michael, right, and he does the, you know, fake baby for the second time in the movie, he starts laughing, right? When he's face to face with Michael, he starts laughing. And that laugh, which mixed I like, with, I love that moment, but that's what I mean. That laugh mixed with him smiling as he finds the baby for real. There is a there is a, a moth to flame element of Tommy where he desperately I think what they're playing really well at is this kind of survivor's guilt almost. This PTSD where I think he wishes he could have been a victim, maybe it would have been easier than living with what he saw. 
Because we see a couple times when he's confronted with the horrors of what Michael's done, even at this stage, he is shook. So I right. think they're, I'm not, like Paul Rudd didn't play it wrong, right? I think the movie just uses him slightly wrong. Take out the, <laughs> I jerk off to my, my poor neighbor lady elements, <laughs> and I can right. actually talk to a human being. Because that's the thing. If you're lacking that that little bit of he wants to have, he has some hope, right? Like he wants to be better. The scene with the sure. kid is a great example of that. But it comes off as two serial killers meeting and being like, oh, thank God there's another one, right? So it just feels a little off. So let's switch to that. Uh, thoughts on the evil kid? <laughs> I mean... Again, it's it's a this whole movie seems to be about for me has been was about succession. Like it's like they were trying to reboot the franchise into another thing altogether. So like in another yeah. world, Paul Rudd carries on the mantle of Loomis and this kid ends up being fucking the next Michael Myers. Like <laughs> instead of Halloween H2O, it becomes Halloween like Danny's Revenge or whatever, you know, like there's. <laughs> There's the curse of voice man, (laughs) but like, that's, that's the level that I felt like it come. I mean, I I was, I I'm fine with creepy kids. Creepy kids are fun. Like, I don't know if there was anything again, like I think it was so wrapped up and just like trying to figure out why we weren't focusing on the curse of thorn and all this other stuff that like was actually engaging to me in the very beginning of the movie. I was like, totally, I was like, Okay, got it. There's an evil kid. He's got the curse. Great. Like, but why is the janitor still chasing after everyone? Why is he still allowed to run around? Like that's 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 the weird part is because, and this just feels like that weird like they sent someone with a here's the last six movies. Take every little string because it's so a new Strode family that's related to the people that adopted Lori live in the house where Lori's brother murdered the sister, uh, and. The Strode connection now. Now the Strode child is marked for druidic uh, thorning because he's drawing a uh, dope trope alert. A uh, kid in a horror movie doing murder drawings, and he drew the thorn. And the voice man's hat is all over his house, and he is seeing the voice. So, is Michael supposed to be replaced by him? He was supposed to be replaced by Jamie. Uh, they mentioned this new baby will be rise of a new era. Is the new baby the fucking <laughs> next? Like. I just have questions, right? Like, here's a druidic question that struck. I had a bunch of druid questions because I really essentially wanted this movie to be all druids, right? I think Loomis says at one point, I know where it is. I know how he wants this game to be played. And I was like, I know I want this game to be played too. Go back to the creepy candle cave and just do an (laughs) Alice in Wonderland of Michael Myers and druid shit. Like, that's great, right? Because here's a question, right? They still never, ever, 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 ever come close to why Haddonfield? Why Haddonfield? And if Haddonfield, yeah, I, I think that's who was the thorn before thing. Michael Myers? Yeah. Well, right. I, well, I was like, was the... there an Ellis Island thorn? Was there a, you know, oh, we made it to Pennsylvania and stopped yeah, thorn? Where's, like, where's that one? What? I mean, but there's so much cool shit to talk it's about. It's interesting there. you bring that up because I, the whole time when I was watching it, again, like, the first time I saw this movie, I can tell you I was probably seven years old, and it was because it was attached to a, a VHS that I had rented. So I watched a trailer for this movie, and then I ended up watching this movie. And I, on this viewing, it's the first time I've ever thought to myself, I'm like, 
is Haddonfield like a Hellmouth? Is that why we're always in Haddonfield? Is that like that's got to be it, right? Like, and right. while we were watching this for the like the I think I've now watched this is like the fourth time I've watched this in my entire life, and this time I was like maybe I missed the part where they finally tell us that Haddonfield is like the mouth to hell and like I'll finally get some like actual like nope never explained, which yeah I think well, would they have been also, actually because they you bring do up a good ju- point would have been really cool right. Right. Well, they do a druidic cult headed by an old white guy that is exactly the same kind of thing they did in Halloween three back when they thought this would be an anthology. Also, you know, making magical mask out of a little Stonehenge. Like it feels like I when when Tommy had the screen up with all the different druid stuff and when they had the uh, the the babies in the 1990s pools of Gak. Right? <laughs> the little embryos yeah. are like, me, And they should have all had the little Shatner mask on. That would have been hilarious. But they had, like, druidic medical labels. So I was like, oh, fuck. Is this one druid cult that is the, hey, we're going to go slasher it up. And then there's a druid cult like, hey, we're the face melters. This is our jam. You know, we right. used to make uh, fezes that melted faces. Now it's how, you know, like, are there all these different cults? How many thorns are there? Is there one thorn and one rose and one root? Like, I, there's so many cool things we could have gotten into. And again, even why Haddonfield doesn't enormously matter. But the fact of how this druidic cult came to be here, right? Because they also get the sense that it's linked to this sanitarium, which maybe that's why. But then Michael didn't go there until after he heard the voice man. So, you know what I, right. I mean? It's just like, why did the voice man pick 10 year old kids instead of picking like giant steroid guys? <laughs> like, I know. I, <laughs> You know, like, good thing he always right. picks a 10-year-old who ends up being six foot five and super powerful. I just, I, I had, this is what I mean. Did I need to see him slasher the Strode teenagers who fucked and the Strode family that had a bad marriage and the DJ? You're like, I did need to see the DJ get murdered, uh, even though it yes. has nothing to do with Michael's mission. I did enjoy seeing uh, that Strode dad get murdered because he, he slapped the, the girl. So I was like, yeah, yes. he deserves to die. I'll tell you the saddest death, too, while we're on it, right? There's two two deaths in this this family that are baffling to me. When they, when he kills the mom, I was so mad because she finally got her courage to walk away from her shitty husband. I want to save the family. She called him out for bringing them this house. When Michael, When she sees Michael and she runs, they do this, like, montage of shots of her little tiny running shoes. Moving like four inches at a time. <laughs> it's so, so tragic. Because I was like, that's like the hamster on the wheel. You know those little mom Reeboks are not getting out of there. She's like getting knocked down by sheets in the wind. And when that lovely woman who finally found her power is reduced to so much, you know, fucking money, red money shot on a white sheet. Oh, but that led me to an interesting thought, though. One. I was like, how did Michael get the blood off those leaves? He was doing some raking. And two, I was like, he cleaned the fucking sheets. No, he didn't. He put them in the washer machine. And when he pulled the fuse so there was no power, he had to use druid magic to still run the spin cycle. So Michael Myers is in the corner. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> now that's a fucking detergent commercial. 
<laughs> was actually thinking about that scene and was thinking, oh, so Michael Myers is like the Hagrid of this whole thing. Like he's like the one who's not supposed to do magic, but he has a little bit of magic. So yeah. he's allowed to do a little bit like yeah. that's again, like he's like, but like it's limited to like, oh, I can do laundry without the power on and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I, I can do the cool. dead body and the laundry trick. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Michael's kills are cool. Michael's fine in the movie. I think there's bigger issues, but, but that's what I mean. Well, Michael killing that dad was great, and that dad was amazing in the movie. He was probably my favorite character in the movie because it's just such a great portrayal. Like, you yeah. so believe that guy is the piece of shit he's playing. It's amazing. But, like, I don't know that I needed any of that. And then they add this extra, oh, we're going to bring Halloween back to Haddonfield. We don't believe. So I, I've always loved in this series when they kind of give Haddonfield traits. So this is Haddonfield, like, we're coming out of the nightmare, but they don't do anything with it right so yeah. for me it's like wouldn't it have been more fun to spend time with like maybe jamie and tommy connect and we see the two sides of kids who have had to deal with michael coming together to save this baby i don't know it's not what we do we don't try to rewrite the movie as we would have done we talk about what we saw alex right talk to me about the best part of the movie dr loomis oh god i mean this version of loomis this like man in the cabin, uh, you know, he's been spotlighted. 34th by Rachel Street McAdams. Santa. What no. did you just what? <laughs> this is Pot this over. is like if you finish, if you finish hurling that accusation at Loomis, <laughs> the pod's over. We won't finish the abyss of October. I'll well, not. What's happened? Let what's happened is, is he's. He was a dick co-worker in the 70s. And finally, everyone's like, oh, you know why he's a total dick? I agree. He started he, off. He had rough edges. Exactly. Everyone's he was a like, sword who hadn't found. He was he was hard steel, hard intellectual steel that had not met the other steel that could sharpen him until Michael. He's been a real fucking shit this entire time. And then what you find out is he ended up getting okay. spotlighted by Mark Ruffalo and uh, Rachel How? McAdams. They come down. Dude. No, they come down. No. They Boston axe. They no. Boston accent him out to a cabin by out in Haddonfield, living his best life. No, where, you know, you he's fuck. been just repurposed. No, <laughs> no. Well, fucking uh, Haddonfield, your ass. This is what happened. No. Doctor Loomis saved countless people by running around and screaming. He actually didn't way, even kill no, he didn't. Uh, the guy who got hit by the ambulance. He just was going to shoot. He saved a bunch of people. They're like, this guy's crazy. We got to do something. So he did save people. Then he ran around as a burnt-ass Ahab when he survived the hospital fire. He just kept fighting. He kept getting stabbed and fighting. And we we see him. He's essentially Fraser Crane now, right? He just is in a surrounded by leather-bounded dish. He's got a nice sweater talking to the radio. He's Fraser Crane. He's having buddies over for a sherry. It's probably a scotch, but whatever. You get the point. He's Fraser Crane now. He's living a good life until he's right. brought back in when he hears Jamie's voice. He knows that his battle, and it's actually kind of a tragic moment, is Dr. Loomis and probably Donald Pleasance himself getting rolled out again when he thinks his fight is over, right, against this monster. Yeah, it's definitely got like a Godfather Part 3 vibe. Right, and the scene when, but he's so good in it. He uses whatever was ailing him at the time, right, his state. He uses it super well. And again, when you said earlier, it's a great send-off for him. I yes. couldn't help but think about when Sid Haig passed away and he had one or two brief moments in uh three from hell, but he's yeah. so gaunt. You could tell he was really not doing well. 
And I was like, man, like you want these horror icons to get that really good send off. And it doesn't happen a lot. And I would say Donald Pleasance is so fitting, right? Of this, this Ahab like warrior, this Van Helsing. And when he's talking to that old lady, he just shows up in her, by the way, classic Loomis, right? Even when he's a sweet old, you know, gift giver, as he has become in this movie, the Fraser Crane of psychiatrists, he uh, still has no decorum because that lady's walking around her house just being afraid, and he just is in her home. He doesn't ring the doorbell. He's just in her home. I have a terrible secret to tell you. <laughs> and he proceeds to tell her, right, about Michael had it in him, this darkness that's infected him. Uh, and he does a great little Loomis monologue. And what I love, Absolutely. and this is great acting, as he's hitting the crescendo, right? What was in Michael? And he brings it all the fucking way down was pure evil. He says it in almost like a ghostly whisper. He can no longer scream it to the heavens, right? Because he knows his fight with Michael is essentially at the end, right? He's tired of telling people that this guy's evil and them not understanding, man. And in a way, it actually works because she's probably the first person that 100% buys it from right. him. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing oh, I like the most moment, is, but I do like that it's, you bring it up. I like that it's like his last, he's not wringing his hands like he was. Like, it's no longer yeah. this like hand wringing, like, damn you. Like, it's not this like Charlton Heston at the end of Planet of the yeah. Apes thing. It's much more, Yeah. it's much more like I'm, I'm done chasing this. Like, I, I can, I'll, or I'm done trying to convince other people to chase this. I'll do it myself, which is why like, Again, it's the thing I love about this movie is it is a great it's the thing I love the most is that it is a great send off for Donald Pleasance as this character. It's the end of a saga mm-hmm. and it's the end of the Loomis saga itself is that he's going to yeah. he's going to take care of this. And I like that. I like the yeah. fortitude and I, I like that he's I like that he's old. He's decrepit. He's living out in the middle of nowhere, sort of. But he's not so far off the grid that he's not going to totally come back for it. I like that. He comes back, man. He knows he doesn't have it. And he, I love that. Cause the scene I love is when he, he confronts his friend when he just is like, God damn it. You know, again, he's like, they wake up from being drugged. It's like, I know where we're going. He goes to the sanitarium, the place that he spent his career. Right. And this, uh, festering druidic pool has been right beneath his feet. Right. This, Seller of crazies, just like the missing file that said Michael's related to Lori, right? right. It kind of adds some more of that, like, oh, there's druidic tampering. Okay, I get it. Um, maybe that's why he was parking in the handicapped spot. He knew they were druidic dickholes the whole time. Uh, but it becomes fast because when he goes into that guy's office, he doesn't go in guns blazing. He just says, why? Because this right. man knows that he is not going to always be here and that when he's gone, evil whether it's Michael or something else, will still be here. And others will fight it, right? He realizes the almost, I don't want to say the uselessness of his fight, but that you can never all the way defeat evil and push the darkness back. And so what he really wants is to know why he was so derailed and taken from and put upon by this guy, right? And again, the movie, The Curse of Michael Myers is never answering questions that they ask. So we never fucking know. But the ending scene with Loomis when, you know, they're all in the van, right? Like, we got to go. The, the t- you know, three people and the baby, right? Like, we're going to go. We're going to go off and drive into the sequel. They're definitely going to green light for us. Let's go. <laughs> and he's just like, no, I uh, 
I need to stay here. I've got things yep. to take care of. Yes. And we never see what those things are. We don't know what it is. Yep. Maybe we, we kind of do. We'll get to the very last image soon enough. But that send off of him not getting in the car, he knows his, his race is, is he running. He knows this is it. I thought like, it, it was just last. beautiful. And it, it's a powerful moment, man. He's just like, I'll stand here. I'm not afraid to be by it's a powerful moment in a it's a powerful moment in a movie that kind of loses its way a lot. But Loomis is kind of this guiding light for us because we do like forget a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I like we were saying earlier, like we drop a lot of the Druid stuff and it sort of becomes background noise. So what you have to do is find something else to clam clam uh, clamp onto. And that's Loomis's. Loomis's story ends up yes. being the thing that kind of takes me through. Like, I don't give a shit about Tommy. And obviously I care about Jamie and the kid, but like at the same time, like Loomis, I want to see like Loomis has to take you through that whole thing. You have to go through the gauntlet with Loomis to get to the yeah. end of this movie. Yeah. And for a movie, like you said, that stumbles at times, they landed the most important thing this movie needed to do, which is do justice to what Donald Pleasance built with Loomis. Loomis is my, favorite non monster in a horror movie ever he's my favorite non monster character right i still think freddy krueger is the best kind of villain in a horror movie and loomis is my favorite non-villain man and they they did him a lot of justice right and so i appreciate the movie for that alone um the ending is again a series of just fascinating decision making um okay Let's start with, we'll kind of skip the part with the crazy lady with the bad teeth and the, the unsecured doors everywhere. Again, um, worst there is a bit that I found ever. kind of fascinating. It's not good. It's not even a good druid. It's just a sanitarium, right? But what I like is Michael seems to be walking around hapless. Like, well, what do I do now? I'm about to be replaced by an army of genetic me's. And he looks over and see Paul Rudd and they share a look and he's like, I guess we're doing this, right? And he slowly saunters over, right? And they run away. And Michael pursues because that's right. what Michael does. There is this moment, right? Because this is when we get into the, I've never seen genetics on this scale. They're letting us know that Druid genetics is now kicking in. There's a scene when Michael 100% walks past the two of them when he would know exactly where the fuck they were. And he walks to the table and he grabs this giant knife. And he keeps walking, right? He looks like the silhouette of Robert Smith from the famous Cure album, right? And you're like, okay, he's coming back to kill Tommy and the girl, right? What he does is he walks into the room with his druidic handlers. Not Wynn, though. We never see the demise of Wynn, which is very strange. But I presume he was in that room, right? Or they were going to leave him for a sequel. He walks into the room of his druidic handlers that are doing something horrific. Um, Instead of going in the room with his own baby... And a uh, little serial killer to be, Danny. He walks in the room and starts slaughtering the druids and the doctors. Yes. Why? Do you have a good reason? Why? That's an interesting choice, I thought. Why Why would he run into that room instead of pursuing the, uh, the very Michael Myers path he's been on the whole rest of the movie? I mean, I don't know if there's any logic to it, to be honest with you. Uh, for me, it's uh, when I saw it, I was mainly just a body count thing. Like, if I'm being completely honest, like, I could not surmise why. I that, actually like, thought I could give this you is, this is Mandarin Iron Man, though, dude. This is magic versus technology. 
I mean, I could say that the, the magic in him doesn't want to let go or be controlled. Well, and that that was like I was gonna say, like the only thing I could probably surmise, like from a storytelling standpoint, is like, is it, or uh, it's like um, Blade Two when he blows away all like the little Daywalker fetuses, like. Yeah, you're the only one. Is it something like that? Like, well, honestly, at the like, end, Michael the didn't go after the fetuses. Yeah, Michael's in the green room and he's pretty chill right. with his own. Sorry, little not the fetuses, but like, <laughs> is he like getting back at all the people who like tried to make him a multiple? I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, it's such a weird. Because I, I agree, like, it's one of those moments where I'm like, why are we? Why? Like, what is happening here? Like. Again, it's a body count. Like, it's a horror movie. It's a slasher flick. Like, that's part of the deal. Yes. But, again, like, it does feel, like, kind of unmotivated and weird because, yeah, you're just sort of shrugging the whole time. Like, I don't I don't know why this is happening. But it's always classically fun to see handlers of this great force, right? So, Michael Myers has become this great weapon. They wield it on this small town and many people over the long course of this series, right? So, to see them... Ah, we're so smart. We're the voice man. We're geneticists. We're druids, right? We're painting babies. We're lighting 1,000 candles a day because we got time for that. We got an infrastructure, right? You know, someone's sewing our cloaks. We do that. So to see them be so cavalier that they don't even lock their prison, they just let Michael saunter about, right? Even after he's activated, like, we got this under control. We got what we want from him, and now we're going (laughs) to take control of the magic. And the magic fighting back was really fun to me. Yeah, I thought that I mean, was a cool moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it. that's probably that is the best way to put it, and that's the best way to enjoy it. I, again, like it's one of those things where I just sort of sat there and was like, <laughs> "Cool, great!" Like we're like this is how this is how these kinds of mo- this is how this movie probably ends in general. Like, again, there's yeah. a world where we could have leaned into something else, but again, I- I'm not expecting. We talk a lot about this, and especially with horror sequels, I think, which is like, what did you expect? Like, whatever you're expecting, whatever you thought was supposed to happen, like, don't think it's going to be like, oh, well, well, what they're going to do is stop down. Michael Myers is going to take off his mask, and he's just going to, like, pull out a pocket Proust and just, like, read. Like, that's not this movie. Like, it's... He's just going to be like, I'm going to read the Zarathura spoke or whatever. He's like... I got to get deep. I got to understand what I am. Am I me? Right. But that's cool, though, because after he kills that guy, right? Or Zarathustra, I don't even know what the fuck I just said. But he starts walking down that red hallway, right? Where they're trying to, like, run. And there's a doctor like, help me, help me. Michael actually does the power walk. Like, the mom power walk. He speeds up a little bit. Maybe he's a little more human. He's a little unleashed. Yeah, he's like, and we know he can teleport between raindrops. And he's just like, I got to really get to this guy. And then you have this other moment that's paired with it when uh, Michael's fucking choking the Strode lady out. And Danny, the kid who's holding a baby, is like, stop it. And when Michael right. comes for her and can't figure out the, uh, you know, circle peg and the square hole, you know, to like climb in there. He's just like ramming his shoulder into the wall. Uh, Danny starts screaming. Danny now has emotion. So has right. Michael pulled back whatever bit of magic was being transferred? So I was like, there was some cool stuff. I don't know. Are you was that reanimator fluid that you know he by got that stabbed rationale? With? Are we saying that Michael Myers is almost the hero by taking the curse in on himself? No. 
Because yeah, I'm gonna tell you just right as now, Dracula's not the hero for bringing in more blood into his body. Again, I was going to say, like, well, you get to live forever so you know, too. It's cool. If that's the point you were about to make, I was going to tell you you were dead fucking wrong. But you know, that's fine. Oh, okay. So- Loomis got spotlighted. Take guy. <laughs> Hot uh, take. Yeah, to- Tommy Doyle smashing his face open and his face is full of green blood. I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. All right, genetic yeah. stuff. Cool. His hands cool. are full of red scars, but you know, green blood. I was like, it's fine. The weird ending to me is when we cut back and Michael is clearly stood up after having his face smashed, which of course he will. He's Michael Myers. Yeah. Why is the mask on the floor and who is that screaming like a crazy person? I don't think that's Donald Pleasance getting killed. I think that is Michael Unchained, right? Because another question they don't answer, which I feel like this movie was responsible for, why that mask in those overalls, right? So when he kills his handlers and he becomes more fully powered, maybe he doesn't need it, right? He peels off the mask and the suit. Maybe it's just Michael running around buck buck wild, buck naked. Uh, And just screaming, right? The barbaric yelp, he's a human again? Is that what you took? I mean... I read online what it, what they what it was meant to be at least that it was supposed to be Loomis, because um, that was I, 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 that I, I ending. Well, no, I had assumed that it was. I had assumed unless it was it's Loomis, Loomis just fucking tapping Michael Myers to strikes. Yeah, so Loomis yeah, just, just gets him in the old Nolan Ryan headlock and is punching the shit. Out I assumed of it was. I assumed it was Loomis to begin with, just because like that again. It's like the final straw. It's the last thing you need to know is that Loomis went out swinging. He clearly went out, but he definitely See, went out swinging. I don't, I don't like that for his heroic journey. I'm glad they left it ambiguous. I like to believe that that's Michael who takes the mask off and is howling at the moon. You know what I mean? Unleash nah, this new, I, more I, powerful, evil magic. Nah, He's his own handler that. for the first time in the whole time we've known Michael Myers, right? Oh, I got Since it. He so he stabbed you- his sister after she had the world's shortest intercourse. He's never been his own monster. Now he is. I like how you basically are just turning Michael Myers the into leash the genie is from Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, except for instead of going to Disneyland, he's going to go murder naked. In Haddonfield, Illinois, of all places. Well, we're Still, assuming genie unclear. didn't do that. Yeah. Maybe he's like, you know what? I heard Ohio has towns. I'll walk over there. <laughs> he's like, I'm free. I think the Haddonfield was never... his lamp, and now he's free. I think the fact that... <laughs> I think the fact that we never got a uh, movie of Michael Myers walking through and murdering Vegas is a real shame. But, you know. I mean, once they did some. Jason Takes Manhattan, I think we saw the uh, guy exactly. walking through. Cra- I mean, to be fair, is it not Leprechaun 2 or 3 that is in Vegas? Um, he kills a magician. And Leprechaun is just... Listen, Perfect, Jason I mean, Halloween's Manhattan. not on Leprechaun's level, let's be real. Listen, Jason takes Manhattan. <laughs> Freddy kills New Haven. Tell me that... That never actually happened. But tell me, for the love of God, why we couldn't have gotten Michael Myers <laughs> stabbing his way through Las Vegas. I beg you. We were probably about to get Michael Myers as like a subway flasher murderer had they greenlit the sequel to this. Now that he's mm-hmm. unchained and unmasked. Yeah, should have wound up. That is a weird thing. The Halloween series is obsessed with is removing Michael's mask. I feel like so many Halloween movies play with this. What would it be like if he took his mask off? And you're like, 
zero percent different zero a lot of them it'd probably be an improvement but <laughs> yeah uh, yeah sure to wrap really this matters. up guys yeah huh, well they i think they're doing the thinly veiled again it's stephen king uh talks about it in dance macabre right it's one of our archetype monsters in the tarot hand is the werewolf right the hidden beast inside and we want to see the you know dr jekyll you know under the mask we want to see a more human killer version but yeah neither here nor there uh <laughs> i think this movie man they were really close if they had really steered into the cult and the druidic magic and Jamie and use that as the the lever. I I would love to see how weird this could have gotten and how much that would have added to Michael Myers. Because at a point, at this point in the series, Michael had been lost, right? By Halloween 4 and 5, they're just essentially becoming paler Friday the 13th knockoffs, right? This right. one really added a new flavor and text that would have been fascinating. And they, it just feels like they were too scared to not have the, yeah. you know, body count in a small town. Um, I think, but yeah. they gave Loomis an amazing send off. So to me, it's a mixed bag, but yeah. you know, I, I think there's plenty here to enjoy if you want to. Indeed. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, for Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Uh, I don't know. Spend all your years like me just imagining weird druid hypotheticals. Uh, that in and of itself is worth the thought experiment. All right, guys. We will be back tomorrow with Halloween H2O. This is essentially we throw out all the movies we just talked about. We go back to we get a we get a re come back to Lori. This is when Lori really becomes the final girl. We all know her as now a uh, fascinating movie in and of its own right uh so that's it uh every day this month we'll be dropping a new horror movie a lot of special guests coming in uh find the ones we've already done be ready for the ones we haven't please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the podcast especially apple podcast app give a five star quick one or two why you love us so much uh you can see our faces and some other stuff we're working on on our youtube channel the nerd alchemist you can also email the show film alchemist pod and find us on every social media app that you're on as a way to get a hold of us and uh tell us what kind of stuff you want to hear about man for the film alchemist i'm josh Griffey. i'm alex dandino <laughs>